Cranmer, when he wrote the prayer book and created the orders of ministry in the Anglican Church, created the orders of deacons view that priests do something special and exceptional, when in fact they are nothing other than servants in chief. They are presbyters, they're elders, as you would say, in a Baptist setting. The word that Peter uses here is eratemna, which is the notion of priesthood that's carrying over from the Old Testament. And so the priesthood he's alluding to here is not the kind of priesthood of eldership, the service role of being a presbyter, but the sorts of things that priests got up to and get up to still. What do priests get up to? They reflect the holiness of God and their high priest. And in this case, our high priest is Jesus himself. So part of our role is to reflect the holiness of God and also to reflect the nature and the character of our high priest, Jesus himself. We as priests are called to make spiritual sacrifices. And you say, Simon, what's that, what's that gobbledygook actually mean? What is a spiritual sacrifice? This is not an exclusive list, but it would include things like our very bodies, the way we live our lives. Romans 12.1 speaks of our bodies being offered as an acceptable sacrifice. So what we do with our bodies, how we carry ourselves, the things we get up to, the stuff we put inside to feed ourselves with, the exercise we do or we don't take. This is a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's a place um, which God regards as holy. We make spiritual sacrifices with our money or our possessions. Philippians 4.18 tells us that. And even our praise and of doing good, what we've offered to him this morning... Hebrews 13 makes very clear that our praise is a spiritual sacrifice, and I find that awesome. But but perhaps one of the most fundamental tasks of the priest is to represent the people before God, and we are called to intercede. And I find this a really big challenge. When I wonder why God is so slow at pouring out his spirit on the village I live in, I almost hear God say, yeah, but how much do you actually pray to me for the lives of individuals in the village? And I think sometimes we live in so much an instant society, we're longing for God to pour his spirit out, but we aren't prepared to put in the knee work or the walking work of praying and interceding. And as we walk past homes and family situations, we know, and I believe God is calling us uh, as, as a church this day to pray more relevantly for family situations, for the people, the friends we have in our villages and our our towns who don't as yet know him. He says this in verse 9, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. If we are followers of Jesus Christ, this is true of us, that we were in darkness, but now we have been called into his wonderful light. Whatever the devil's verdict may be on us, whatever brickbats we may get, whatever accusations we may get back, We are now in his wonderful light. We were not a people, but we now are. And I could sense that when Andy was reading that through. Uh, You know, the the sense of awe that we are now the people of God. This isn't just 
This isn't just a congregation called Five Head Baptist. But you are what God dreamed would be the case. What Jesus makes possible. So often I think we just have too small a perspective on what church is. But actually you have been called this morning, as have I, as a living stone into this place to make spiritual sacrifices, to pray to the living God, to ask God to send his spirit to breathe upon us. Now, we are reconciled. And I want to say this very clearly. The love of God is the source of the atonement, not its intended objective. So often, we kind of just want to bombard people with the love of God, and that's, that's great. But actually, the love of God is the motivating factor for Jesus providing himself willingly as a servant on the cross to reconcile us to the Father. So love is the means, love is the motivator, it's not just the object. Romans 5, 10 and 11 says this, For if while we were God's enemies we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. That's Romans 5, 10 and 11. The word used for reconciliation is a bookkeeping term, hence my question earlier on. It's the word logizemonos. It is the act that a bookkeeper or an accountant or a church treasurer undertakes when they're trying to reconcile the two columns of debt and payment. Reconciliation we sometimes think of as a kind of fluffy sort of thing where God wraps his arms around us and we're reconciled. There is that side of it. Of course there is, where the tenderness of God touches us. But actually this is a very forensic transaction. This is actually our debt on that side of the accounting column being paid in full by what Jesus did on this side. Jesus died once for all upon the cross. He faced the judgment so that we no longer have to. And I fear that there are good Christians sitting in church who still believe they may not make the grade. Can I say to you this morning, great, you will not make the grade. I will never make the grade. Grace is entirely what it's about. And that's why we've got a message to shout about. This is not about whipping ourselves into shape to get square with God. This is about embracing the gift he's given, embracing the fact of reconciliation. This is an amazing message. We haven't got to perform arms. We haven't got to uh, perform rituals. We haven't got to get ourselves into a frenzied state or a serene state. We receive and have received the gift. And on the basis of that, we move into this wonderful ministry of reconciliation. Jesus became sin for us. Now, what I'd like to do now, I'd like to, uh, Steve, if you've got that text from 2 Corinthians 5, I just want to read you these six verses. Don't worry, I'm not going to preach in all six verses, but I do just want to uh, bring you this. So, 
since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God. I hope it's plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we're out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I reiterate again, thanks Steve, we're reconciled to God on the basis alone of what he has done in Jesus Christ. The ministry of reconciliation is, if you like, our diaconate. The word used is diaconia. That is our ministry. We don't make the reconciliation. We simply offer it. Now, some of you will know that the root word for deacon, ears up deacons, it means waiter, table waiter or waitress. So you're deacons in this church. That's what it means. It means servers, servers at table originally. And we all have a ministry of reconciliation to exercise. And if you stretch the point, this might be dodgy exegesis, Andy, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, The only thing we're serving up on the menu is this, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's all we can offer. We can't offer anything else. It's like that's all there is on the menu. Now, that's not to say that when we are in Christ that God shows us more and more and more. But in our dealings with our neighbours, our message is profoundly simple. I'm not saying that it's easy, because it's not. Very difficult sometimes to know quite how to pitch it, quite what to say and when to say it. God has set amongst us this word of reconciliation which we proclaim, which is accompanied, yes, by signs and wonders and acts of service. But fundamentally, it's a word to be shared. And I wonder sometimes if that's why growth is sometimes slow, that we're very good in most churches at social action. We're very good at expressing the love of God and getting alongside people. But we kind of get a little bit tongue-tied 
we kind of hesitate about pushing on in there and sharing the message. And yet the reality is that most people I speak with have a sense of sin. They may not call it that way, but they will talk about their sense of inadequacy and not coming up to the mark. And that's an opening for us to talk about how the love of God has made possible a new life where those things are taken care of in Christ. The other bit at the end of this, as I move towards a close, is that Paul uses the illustration here of being an ambassador. As ambassadors, what do they do? Well, I've only met a couple of ambassadors and commissioners and things like that, but what they do in nation, a a foreign nation, they are trying to say what government policy is. They're trying to build bridges. And that's what we do. We try and explain God's logic. We try and explain to people who as yet are not part of the family of God or the nation of God, express it whatever way you want. We're trying to explain to them how God has operated in providing a way back to him. The word implore is fervent. It's not a, oh, and by the way, um, I'd like to tell you about Jesus. There is a sense of huge urgency here. Jesus uses it when he tells Peter that he has been praying for him at the back end of Luke. It's the word diametha. Paul uses it in telling the Philippians to make their needs known to God in 4, 6 of Philippians. The appeal is urgent, and this appeal is sometimes accompanied by tears, Acts 20, verse 31. Our sharing, our imploring, our advocacy for the things of God and for his message of reconciliation may move us to tears. It may move us to tears. So in summary, where have we been the last 20 minutes or so? Well, we've considered the fact that we are living stones, that we aren't accidentally thrown together like a cairn on the top of a mountain. We're actually built, we're constructed. And I could have said so much more about the ministry of Jesus in that, but I wanted to focus on other aspects of that passage this morning. I want to remind you that our basis for ministry is only our status in God's eyes, that we are reconciled, that we are regarded by God now as priests, as priests to undertake priestly tasks, especially that of prayer and intercession for those amongst whom we live and work and worship. And then we thought briefly about the ministry of reconciliation itself, the fact that it's a very forensic thing. There's a debt. The debt is paid. The debt is cancelled. You can't, you can't be billed twice for it. We can't be billed for sin anymore. Now that is awesome. Some will say that seems a bit cheap, Simon. It's too... But that's the way. That's, that's how God sorts us out. There is no other route. You can try and pay your own debt, but you'll never muster enough to pay it. You can't. And so the closing challenge to us all, as the reconciled, we are to be reconciled with each other in our ministry of reconciliation. Family life is difficult sometimes. Church life is difficult sometimes. We don't see eye to eye. But in 1 John chapter 4, John 
says this, verse 19 to 21. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or a sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister who they can see, cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he's given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. The word of God is tough, but it's also encouraging. And I pray there's been something in there that will stimulate you, encourage you, move you ever closer to the arms of Jesus this week. Let's just pray.